0: So Palm Sunday, uh, here we are. Um, I think it's interesting as as I get up here this morning, every week we've talked about the numbers um, of people who are able to gather physically, um, getting fewer and fewer and uh so, as I rush with my last minute things to to make sure that I'm prepared um, it's interesting as i as I look out here and I uh, prophesied last week it would be just my wife, and uh, we're we're pretty pretty close to that. But I think about the church, I think about the uh, the leaders, and yesterday we had a video conference with all of our leaders from the church, and uh, I want to say that it's never been easier to get everyone together, and people logged in early to our video conference, and people were engaged and. Nobody complained about time. It was supposed to be an hour, hour and a half. It was two hours and people were still there. When we finished and we, we tried to shut down the meeting, people would not log off. It's, uh, it's interesting right now that people want to gather. Uh, people want to serve. People want to talk. They want to be engaged. Uh, the servants who were tired, in many cases, are longing for that feeling now of the fatigue that comes along with uh, serving the Lord, right? We miss it now when, when many of us can probably testify that there were times where we felt uh, we really wanted a break or an extended break. Anyhow, as we talked and prayed on this meeting, one of the things I shared with the group is that they are all essential. Every country around the world uh, and here in the US, our federal, our state, um, our local governments have decided who and what is essential. The essentials are allowed to keep working. They're allowed to keep serving. And they've actually been asked to keep things running in our country. And that's what makes them essential. The essentials range from our doctors and our nurses, uh, to our supermarket clerks, to our gas station attendants. Uh, There's quite a few people that have made this list of, of being essential. These essentials are privileged, right? They get to go outside. They get to uh, continue to work and uh, earn a living. They get to uh, continue to meet the needs of people. But they're not just privileged. They're also at risk because they're actually exposed um, to people. And they're actually in danger by the very people that they're out there to, uh, to serve and to keep uh, uh, able to live, right? Right? And a lot of times they're even uh, in danger from the people that they're essential and serving with, right? So you see multiple nurses or multiple doctors uh, in a hospital, they're exposed to the people, which is dangerous for them, and then they're exposed to each other, right? They go home and they're, they've been exposed to other people, right? At the same time, governments have decided that some people's roles in society are not essential. And that ultimately we can do without them indefinitely if we have to. Think about that for a minute. When I spoke with our leaders yesterday, I reminded them that the church cannot do without them. Each of their roles has always been deemed essential in the eyes of the Lord. Ministry was never about what they could do during the hours that the church is actually open. So one of the things I'm grateful for is that here in our church, I feel like for a long time we've been able to do that, to preach and to teach and to have courses that remind people that if you are a leader, if you are in ministry, you are essential. It doesn't matter if you are part of the cleaning ministry or if you're part of the pastoral ministry that does teaching and preaching. We all have a responsibility for the growth and the development of the members of the church. General Motors has been asked in the U.S. to stop making cars and to start making ventilators. That's because the nation needs the big and the strong, like GM, to adapt to our nation's current needs. So similarly in the church, our cleaning crew is no longer cleaning the church, but they should be checking on our members, giving them advice on maybe how to disinfect their homes, right? They've got to adapt and they've got to be ready to keep uh, meeting the needs of the people, right? They should be talking to the unsaved. I could picture somebody that used to be involved in coming on the weekends and cleaning the church, and and uh, during this season they're around friends or around family, unsaved folks, and maybe they should be talking to them and telling them things like, "Hey, all these years that I've been going to the church." And I've been in there with a small group of people when nobody else is there and we've been cleaning. You know, it's funny how right now with the coronavirus, we're fighting this invisible killer. And that's a lot like what I do when I clean the church, when I do my ministry. I'm fighting against this invisible killer, the devil. I'm preparing myself uh, to protect myself and to protect others. Right. You're still essential. You still have a role that needs to be played. Right now, the leaders in the church are the big and the strong like General Motors when it comes to the kingdom of God. Our king is calling on us to adapt and to continue to meet the needs of God's people. This doesn't mean that leaders are better than others. It doesn't mean that uh, leaders are immune um, uh, to the difficulties of this life, right? It just means that God has called and chosen and developed them in such a way that they're equipped and empowered to do what they've been called to do. So the president didn't ask me to make ventilators. I'm not equipped or empowered, and I haven't been developed in a way that would make me able to adapt and meet that need uh, in the country. And at the same time, the Lord isn't calling GM to proclaim the truth of the sovereignty of God. He's not calling GM to uh, continue to invest financially into the kingdom. He's not calling GM to keep considering the homeless and the hungry right now. And he's not calling GM to teach people how to pray that may have only been praying when they would come into church services. And now they need to know more than ever. The Lord's calling leaders and the Lord's calling Christians to remember that we are and we always have been essential. If Christians and especially leaders in the churches are waiting for the churches to open back up, so that we can get back to business as usual my prayer is that the doors would stay closed because business as usual was never what jesus intended for his church if that's what we're waiting for if that's what we're looking forward to if we're talking about we can't wait we wish it would have opened back up by easter or, or we can't wait till we can go back into those buildings uh i think we've missed something what we're seeing from our medical professionals right now around the world is closer to what Jesus has called us to as Christians than anything else. Church attendance, learning how to give, um, growing in stability, growing in comfort, growing in maturity, that's not where it's at when it comes to the church. But what the church does in this season is going to show whether or not we understand what it really means to be the bride of Christ. And the world is going to look back and a declaration is going to be made. Either, either the world will say after this that the church is essential or the world will say, I knew we could do without the church and they're non-essential. People who don't drive American cars, they may have personal feelings about GM, but they're going to look back and they're going to put their personal feelings aside and they're going to say GM is the real deal. They proved to be more than just car salesmen. When we needed them most, they were able to adapt and change and provide ventilators and save lives. So, after this critical time, I hope that non believers that may have personal feelings about the church and about God, I hope that the church is able to show them that uh, we truly are the real deal. I hope that the non believers will have to look back and say, the church loved, the church served. They remained faithful, they helped the poor, they helped the hungry, they risked their own lives, and they did all this for the lives of others. I think it's critical moments in history that have this increased potential for impact. In the church world, this Sunday is known as Palm Sunday, or it's remembered as the triumphal entry, or it's celebrated as kicking off the Holy or Passion Week. This week was a critical moment in history, in the history of the kingdom of God, and the impact of Jesus during this last week before his death and resurrection is still being felt uh, worldwide. So this year, what I've done is I've titled the message Essential Sunday, and we're going to look at what Jesus showed us was essential in the last days leading up to his crucifixion. So I want to pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be alive during this season, during this moment. Uh, I believe with all my heart that it's critical, that it's important that you are doing something, Lord. You are not on the sidelines. You are not a bystander, Lord. You are active. You are alive and well, Lord. I thank you that you've chosen this generation of the church to be essential, to be ready, to be prepared, to be able to adapt, Lord God. I pray that you would help us, that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us, Lord when we plan to be able to gather, we plan to be in our churches, we plan to have Easter celebrations, Lord God. When all those plans are removed, Lord, I pray that it's still your heart and your blood that's coursing through our veins, Lord, empowering us, strengthening us, directing us, Lord, to be used for your glory and for our good, Lord. I pray that we would have an impact in the world, Lord, that the church would be strengthened, that the church would grow, Lord, but also that those that don't know you yet, would come out of this moment, this season, this critical time in the world, Lord, more aware of who you are, seeing you perhaps more clearly, hearing your voice maybe for the first time, Lord God. I believe with all my heart you want to use the church, Lord, to be that driving force. Would you have your way over this message? Would you have your way over my words, Lord God? Those who are here and those who are gathering in their homes, Lord, would you just meet us where we are? We love you. We need you, Lord in many ways now more than ever. Have your way as we remember the things that you've done and the things that you've said. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So like I said, Palm Sunday's focused on this triumphal entry, but what I'd like to do is paint a picture or draw your attention to all the things that are happening around and leading up to this triumphal entry. So maybe as you listen, you can imagine being a part of each of these different moments or these events that took place. And I want you to think about it as if you were part of these actual groups. You were there in the moment with Jesus. So I love when movies do this. Uh, They do these flashback scenes or fast forward scenes where everything speeds up and they show you this this scene from the beginning of the movie, right? Right. And then you're able to remember, oh, yeah, that happened. He, he was in that building. And then it'll fast forward really quick. And it'll take you to the middle of the movie and you'll be able to say, oh, that's right. I, I forgot about that part. And the whole point is then when you get back to this critical moment or to this end of the movie, right, it makes everything come together. It makes it all make more sense for you. And that's kind of what uh, I want to try to do this morning for our essential Sunday, Palm Sunday service. So Let's practice. I want you to picture adam and eve they're in the garden it's beautiful it's more green than you've ever seen it's got more beautiful plants and flowers than you've ever seen in your life and there's adam and there's eve and then here comes the serpent right and he he uh he tricks them and they end up eating this forbidden fruit from the forbidden tree right and all of a sudden sin comes into the world now fast forward make that noise in your mind fast forward now all of a sudden you're in egypt and there's people everywhere And what used to just be a couple of people, now there's millions of people and millions of these Jews, these Hebrews who are there. And all of a sudden you see this man, Moses, coming onto the scene and he's proclaiming that these are God's people and they need to be let go. And he's prepared these people that that in this next night, they're going to be leaving out of Egypt. And you see this scene where all these people are uh, slaying lambs as an offering and they're painting it over the doorpost. Of their homes you fast forward again (laughs) all of a sudden you're in this house and and it's it's strange the way that it looks and it's kind of dark and and all of a sudden you see some things there's there's some animals around and you're like okay and then all of a sudden you're looking closer and there's there's a man and and then there's a woman that you can see there as well and next thing you know your, your focus is is drawn and your attention is drawn and there seems to be this manger and there's a little baby in there And you can almost hear the words being proclaimed that uh, a child is born unto us. That he takes away the sins of the world. And you're thinking about that scene back in Adam and Eve. And then you're, you're thinking about he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And all of a sudden you're thinking about that scene of Moses and you're realizing who this child is and what God is doing in this very moment. And it's all beginning to make sense and become clear that you can see the picture. And then the screen goes black, and it says, to be continued next week, Easter 2020. So that form of visual is what I'm hoping you can have as we look at this triumphal entry story. You get the picture. Today, you get to be the the 13th disciple Experience these moments. So let's see if they feel essential as we go back through them. Or let's see if maybe we feel like they could have been done, done away with. They're non essential. So scene number one, we're going to Jerusalem. This is Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. And we're going to read through verse 11. Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and said, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So this whole triumphal entry uh, essential uh, scene, is it essential? Or could we do without this story? does it seem really all that important? Jesus is coming to Jerusalem many times throughout his life. When we go back, uh, uh, right after his birth, it tells us that when he was 12, he was in Jerusalem for the Passover. So we get this picture that every year he's been to Jerusalem, at least once a year for these festivals, multiple times probably. And then during his three years of ministry, we know that consistently he was going up to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem found in the temple, teaching, doing certain things. So how is this time any different than any of those other times? Why is this time important or maybe essential? I want to draw our attention to verse 4 and verse 9. Verse 4 says that all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, And verse nine says, then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So what we have here are details that don't initially mean that much to us, but to the people who were there and the people who lived in that day. This was part of a very familiar song, and it's a scene from a very familiar prophecy that they all would have known. So this prophecy, Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 8, it reads this way. Zechariah says, I will camp around my house because because of the army, because of him who passes by and him who returns. No more shall an oppressor pass through them. For now I have seen with my eyes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. He's lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bowl shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey. When people saw these two donkeys that Jesus was riding in on, riding in on the, the colt or the foal or the smaller child donkey. Uh, There's no doubt that this Zechariah prophecy was the first thing on everyone's minds. It was a memory from them, for them from all the years that they studied as children, all the years that they studied as adults. They knew this story like every other story in the Old Testament. Remember that they didn't have TVs, they didn't have internet, They didn't have cell phones, so everything in their society was written down, and everything was about stories that were told from generation to generation, and they remembered these things. It was ingrained into their hearts and into their minds. Many of the children in those days, uh, they would memorize the whole Torah. If they were able to go to school and study, they'd memorize the whole Torah before they were even teenagers. So this imagery of of, uh, it saying that he's coming in on the donkeys, that he's lowly, that a king is coming and that he's bringing salvation with him was not obscure to them. It was not overlooked like it is for many of us. So the scene and ultimately Jesus himself, we we know, is saying the king has come and he's brought salvation with him. This time when he enters into Jerusalem is different than every other time that he's entered in. Let's look at uh, the book of Psalms. It's a book of songs that are written throughout Jewish history, to celebrate, to remember, and to mourn and teach about Jewish history. These songs are written throughout throughout their history in different moments, different times, things they've been through, ways that they've seen God move, their history with God. So we know that songs have a way of bringing memories flooding back into our hearts and into our minds. For instance, if I were to say, All the Single Ladies... A song is going to pop into your mind. You're going to think about how many times you had to hear it on the radio if you were listening to that stuff. And then most of us are going to think about pretty much every wedding you've been to in the last 10 years when the bride turns around and she throws her bouquet, all the single ladies are on the dance floor, and that song is always playing. If I say, boys to men, end of the road, anybody who's around 40 years old is going to think back to their first love. I remember uh, Theo, 92.3, the beat, back in the day. This song was on replay every afternoon, every evening, and it was, uh, it was me and Mary's song when she fell in love with me back in the 90s. Into the road, I'd sing it, uh, but I'll be in trouble. How about this one? You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips there's no tenderness all right that's enough so what comes to mind if you're not thinking about that scene from top gun something is wrong with you you should be remembering where you watched it the last time you saw it and how many times you've had to hear it or sing that song so we all have a million songs that work that way for us right even if you haven't listened to them in decades you remember all the words and you're immediately transported back to that time uh when you hear those songs right so psalm 18 psalm excuse me 118 is a song about salvation and it ends with this climax of a sacrifice on the altar and let's see if anything else as i read through it stands out to you remember that it's a song um and people would have had this reflection and this memory just like you do when you hear certain songs so this is psalm 118 says "O oh, give thanks to the lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever let israel now say his mercy endures forever let the house of aaron now say his mercy endures forever let those who fear the Lord now say, His mercy endures forever. So imagine this song is, is somebody leading it and it says, Now let Israel say, His mercy endures forever. All the congregation will say, His mercy endures forever. And then it says, The house of Aaron, then it's just the priest, His mercy endures forever. And then it says, All the believers, and everybody shouts, His mercy endures forever. It's a song. Verse 5 says, I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me, yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, sin now prosperity. Verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. Amen. So that's all of Psalm 118. Uh, those of you who are here and those of you who are watching you know that i love to read scripture so you got another whole chapter in a message there but what a song it is and remember like i said before it's a familiar song to the people of god they've sung it a million times maybe this happens to you where you have an old song that you remember singing and you remember loving the song but as you get older as you grow and as you mature when you hear the song again you actually are able to recognize and identify things in the song that you didn't even know what it meant because you were just a kid. But now that you're grown, you're like, oh, I don't know if I should have been singing that. (laughs) In many ways, Psalm 118 is that way. They they knew why they were singing it at the time and there was this celebration about these, these deliverance moments, this saving grace of God, this defeating of enemies. But now when you fast forward to Jesus in this triumphal entry, all of a sudden this song takes on a greater meaning. And they're singing it, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord in a new light and in a new way. So now we know, and everyone in Jerusalem knew that Palm Sunday was about the king. It was about the king announcing his arrival and proclaiming that he has brought salvation with him. Remember that Jesus for three years has been setting this table for this moment with every word that he said every place that he taught every person that he healed every group that he fed he was setting the table for this moment in the previous three years leading up to this what would he do he would he would do some miracle do something amazing touch somebody's life and he'd say don't tell anybody who i am go go back to your house just don't sin anymore go go to the church and do what they've told you to do be faithful He kept trying to to minimize this proclamation of who he really is and what he came to do. But now, he's allowing the multitude to worship him. Now he comes in with this visual sign of him on the donkey saying, Your king has come and he's come with salvation. He's allowing people to sing this song of salvation and deliverance and a sacrifice that's being made for him. And he's not telling them, Be quiet. He's not telling them, keep this to yourself. He's not trying to to avoid this or evade it. He's coming in himself and saying, yes, the king has arrived. Yes, salvation is coming with me. Yes, a sacrifice still has to be made. So when directors shoot a movie, they often have several cameras at the same moment on the same scene so that you can get it from different perspectives, different angles. So we looked at Matthew's uh, angle of this triumphal entry i want to quickly look at luke's angle from luke chapter 19 verse 33 it says but as they were loosing the colt the owners of it said to them why are you loosing the colt and they said the lord has need of him then they brought him to jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set jesus on him and as he went many spread their clothes on the road Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will bind an embankment around you, will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. A couple amazing things happening here. Jesus says again, the the Pharisees say to him, rebuke your disciples. The, The Pharisees get this. The Pharisees know what they're singing, that he's a king. And that he's bringing salvation with him. And the Pharisees are saying, rebuke your disciples. They should not be worshiping you. You are not God. You are not a king. And Jesus, again, for the first time, he declares, listen, what they're proclaiming is the truth. And if I were to try to stop them, the very rocks would cry out. All of my creation has been made to praise me. (laughs) Those who know God know me. Those who have seen God see me. Those who see me have seen the Father for the first time. During this triumphal entry moment, you're seeing Jesus uh, further reveal himself to the masses. What else here? In Luke's Luke's angle of this, Jesus is said to to weep over the city. The people are excited. The people are expectant. They say, look, our king is here. He's going to conquer. He's going to deliver. We're going to get out from under Roman rule. This class system that the Jewish rule has us under, right? This hierarchy, right? Of the leaders, of the wealthy, of the scribes, of the Pharisees, and then the poor. We're going to come out from under all of that because our king is here. He's got power and authority. He heals. He feeds. Now it's going to happen. But for Jesus, the triumphal entry is a sad moment. Jesus isn't sad because he's going to be crucified soon. Jesus is sad because his people, God's people, are not prepared for the moment they find themselves in. Again, I I think about it with the moment God's people find ourselves in right now. Are we prepared? Are we essential? Do we understand it? Do we see it? Jesus is crying. Imagine... Uh, the scriptures always tell us that you're going up to Jerusalem because it's a city on a hill right so imagine Jesus takes this journey from Jericho where we found him a while ago and he goes up to Jerusalem he gets to the Mount of Olives right And he's got to come down to Jerusalem but he looks over and sees the whole city the people are screaming the people are shouting they're celebrating and he's crying he's saying my people have no idea who I am really who I am they're not prepared for what's going to come next he says, your king, your king is here, but I'm not going to get you out of Roman rule right now. I'm not going to get you out of this class system right now. What's actually going to happen is physically things are going to get much worse for you before they get better. And he's weeping because they don't see it and they don't understand it because they don't understand the scriptures. That Psalm 118 song that they're singing, Remember that it had that portion where it said, bind the sacrifice to the altar, tie it upon the, upon the altar. Jesus is like, you guys know the song, but you didn't, you didn't follow it all the way to the end. I still got to go to the cross. There's going to be trials and tribulations to follow. This moment has come upon them, as the Bible says, like a thief in the night. And they were not ready. So scene number one is here in jerusalem around this this triumphal entry moment we're going to rewind to scene number two before the triumphal entry they find themselves in jericho this journey to jerusalem actually starts in this in this week here in jericho and everyone's making their way to jerusalem for the passover like we talked about Remember that preview earlier in the service, right? Moses, the the blood over the doorpost, the the angel of death passes over all the children of Israel. That's the first Passover that's leading us to um, Easter, leading us to this triumphal entry in the Passion Week. So Jesus sets out from Jericho. Uh, And this idea is that it's a reminder of all the things that God has done for Israel. Jericho is so significant, right? You come out of Egypt, you go into the wilderness, you come up against something like Jericho fortified that your armies and your planning and your skills can do nothing to give you victory. God has to come again after he's already saved you and then to give you the promised land, right? So that's where they find ourselves. I think it's essential. I think it's important. I think it's significant. Where they are in this in this scene here it's uh this moment where god's going to declare not only what he's done in the past but what he's about to do in the future so something interesting happens on this road as they're coming into to jericho on their way to jerusalem this is luke chapter 18 verse 31 it says then jesus took the 12 aside and said to them behold we're going up to jerusalem And all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered into the hand of the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They'll scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by and he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. I think it's amazing how civilized we've become as church folks how uh, restrained we've become as church folks. I do get it because when I first got saved, I thought everybody that came into church and raised their hands and sang loud and clapped and danced and prayed in the spirit, I thought they were all crazy. However, once you come into a relationship with Jesus and you realize who he is, what he's done, that you've been forgiven, that you've been set free, when you feel these, uh, uh, these sins and this bondage come off of you, the response is praise. The response is boldness. The response is, I could care less about the people telling me to be quiet and to calm down and to be reserved and to be civilized. They, they are not as important as the attention of my Savior is. So here's this man who's blind and he hears, he's, he hears a commotion. He's like, What is going on? Why is everybody, uh, what, what's with this commotion? They said, It's Jesus of Nazareth. And he starts screaming, he starts shouting. Jesus has been through three years of ministries, three years of miracles. It's coming to a climax right now in this week. And Jesus is still focusing all of his attention on an individual that he speaks to and that he heals. This this blind man outside Jericho, again, remember all that imagery of, of Jericho and what it means, what it represents. And here's this blind man sitting outside the city. We're reminded of how many stories we hear about those who are suffering and those who are hurting, those who are blind, those who are poor, being right outside the city or being right outside the gates, right outside the gates that lead to the temple and into the church, right? It's this place of, um, of need, but also of disregard, and Jesus continuously uh, meets these people. It's almost as if Jesus says to this particular man, you've believed in me because of what you've heard but I want you to see what happens next for yourself. He knows who Jesus is, he's blind, so he hasn't seen any of this, but he's heard about Jesus. He's heard about his miracles. He's heard about how he's fed people. This information has made it all the way down to Jericho and everywhere else. So when he hears that it's Jesus coming, he says, Lord, I know who you are. Look at me, help me, do something for me. And Jesus says, it's not enough for you just to hear, I want you to see for yourself. What a powerful moment. What a wonderful thing Jesus does here to focus on the individual when many of us might have been saying, uh, Lord, you don't really have time for this right now. So let's stay in and around Jericho and let's stay in scene two. We've got this blind man, uh, blind Bartimaeus sitting outside the city. Luke chapter 19 verse one says, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down. For today I must stay at your house. So he made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So good. Again, Jesus is dealing with an individual here. He's making time for Zacchaeus to come into his house and to have a meal. The rest of us are on the edge of our seats. We know the story and we know what the moment is. We're feeling like, Lord, you don't have time for this. You've got to get to Jerusalem. There's so many things that have to happen. You're about to be crucified. Jesus stops, sees him in a tree. He says, this man wants me. He wants to see me. There was a man that uh, that could hear, but he couldn't see physically. And Jesus was going to open his eyes. Now we have a man who can see and is trying to see, but he doesn't really understand spiritually who Jesus is. So Jesus says, come down. Salvation has come to you. Could it be, as we look at this so far, that Jesus is saying the people are essential? He has a mission. He has a plan. He has a goal. He has something that he has to accomplish for the masses, for all people. But he doesn't lose sight of the individual person. In the scriptures, the Lord speaks a lot about those who have eyes to see and those who have ears to hear. The blind physically and spiritually need eyes that can see who the lord is and the deaf physically and spiritually need ears to hear his word and his word is what proclaims the truth of who he is the bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god we can't just have ears uh, that can listen we need ears that can truly hear the word of god so here's the the people that are with jesus these are followers right they're upset because he goes into the house of a sinner. This sinner, his sin is that he works for the enemy. He's a tax collector, taking the money from the Jews, taking his portion, giving the rest to the Romans who are uh, oppressing the children of God. And they say, why would you go into his house? Why would you, why would you eat with this sinner? Over and over, Jesus has been teaching them, uh, I came for the sick. The well have no need of a physician, Right? He says, I came came for sinners. If you're not a sinner, what can Jesus do for you? And Jesus goes in and dines with him. He says that he too is a son of Abraham. He says, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. This man is lost. And I I love uh, what we learned here as well about about Zacchaeus is that in the eyes of the world, he would be a pretty righteous man. He says, I only take what I'm supposed to take if if I accidentally take more than what i what i should from somebody he says i restore it fourfold i don't just give them back what i owe them i don't just give them double or triple i give them four times what i took from them i just want to be right i just want to do the right thing i just want to be a man who lives a good life there's so many people who are not christians who live in a better way than christians do but jesus says it doesn't matter I'm going to rewind you back to Adam and Eve. You're a sinner. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. You can be the best person on the planet and you still need a Savior. You still need to hear Jesus come into your house and say, Salvation has come here for you. Man, I think it's essential what's happening in and around this triumphal entry. So scene number one, we're in Jerusalem with the triumphal entry. We, we did a little rewind and we went to Jericho, in and around Jericho with the blind man outside, with Zacchaeus when you come out the other end, going into his house. Scene number three, we're going to fast forward from Jericho, but not all the way to Jerusalem. We're somewhere in between um, and we're going to be in Bethany. This is John chapter 12, verse 1 it says, then six days before the Passover... Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray Jesus, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for my day of burial or for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always. But me you do not have always. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. So we get this scene, fast forward, rewind, it's all happening in and around the same time. Matthew tells us, right? We just looked at John's angle of this story of what's happening in Bethany. Matthew tells us that this story takes place in a man's house named Simon, and he's Simon the leper. Just a a quick verse, verse six and seven of Matthew 26. It says, when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured poured it on his head as he sat at the table. So it's the same scene, but we're told that. Uh, a little bit more detail from this angle of Matthew that it's Simon the leper's house. So, this triumphal entry into the city and into the church, it sure does seem to have a lot to do with house calls and private meetings that are happening around this time. Again, you've got this blind man outside of Jericho, then you've got Jesus going into Zacchaeus' house after Jericho. Now we find ourselves in Simon the leper's house. Lazarus is there. Mary's there. Martha's there. They're gathered with the disciples. The disciples are sent out right after this, it says, to somebody else's house, and they ask for their donkeys so that Jesus can ride in on them. The point that I'm trying to to drive home this morning is that the individuals seem to be essential to the story, and they seem to be the major focus of Jesus. He's making time for them. He's still teaching them. He's still ministering to them before he goes to the church, before he goes to the masses to reveal himself and to straighten some things out for the church and for the masses. He spends time with the individuals, for the re- further revealing himself and straightening things out for them. Jesus reminds Simon, this leper, That, yes, I healed you, but I must still come in and dine with you over and over and over again. One of the issues I think that has perpetuated with Christians is we love the salvation moment. We love the healing, the forgiveness, the deliverance that we experience. I remember being healed from uh, an addiction to to drugs in one day. I remember the feeling of sin coming off of my shoulders in one moment. And we love that. It's like the leper being healed in that moment. But what God desires is not just that moment. He says, I want to come back into your house. I want to come and dine with you again and again and again. And we see that in this critical moment uh, leading up to the triumphal entry as Jesus finds himself back at Simon the leper's house. How many people have been touched by God, healed by God, loved by God, forgiven by God, but now there's no room for God? This, le- this may be the same leper uh, that cried out, Jesus, if you're willing, you can cleanse me. And the scriptures say that Jesus says, I am willing. And he reached out and touched him. We've talked about that so many times. And here he is in, in that house. And in Simon the leper's house, he didn't just say, uh, now I'm healed. Now I can go back to society. Now I can go back to my family. Now I can go back and do what I really want to do with my life. Where does he find himself? He's got other believers in his house gathered. So Jesus also sits with Lazarus that he raised from the dead. And he says to Lazarus, there's more than being born again. You have to live a new life, right? He's still revealing and he's still discipling. And he's still teaching. He says, look, I took you out of the grave. You have been in there four days already. You were born again, raised in newness of life. And it's not enough for me to just say, okay, take that gift and go with it. Now he's back in his house and they're fellowshipping and there's more that he needs to teach him about living the resurrection life. Jesus continues to disciple Mary and Martha. He continues to teach them about the difference between service and sacrifice and surrender. You remember the story where he he says, Martha, Martha, what are you doing? You're all about service when you should be about surrender and spending time with me. Remember uh, when Lazarus was dead and in the tomb, Jesus is telling Mary and Martha, he's like, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. They're like, yeah, we understand he's going to be raised in, in in into heaven with you when you when you enter into your kingdom. But if you would have been here, you wouldn't have died. He's like, girls, I got to teach you. It's not just in the future. It's now I am life. I'm the source of life. So here he is. He's not done yet. In his last week, what does he do? He's sitting there with them and they're beginning to get it more and more. Martha serving in a different heart, and Mary is here surrendering what's most valuable to her to pour it over Jesus and to anoint him. And then again, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the importance of moments like this. He says to them something that most of us as Christians uh, is hard for us to fathom. He says, don't worry about the poor. What? You're going to have them Always. You had them yesterday, you have them today, you'll have them tomorrow, but me, you're only going to have for a moment. This is a critical moment. You have an opportunity. You're never going to get this opportunity again. You better focus all of your attention on me. She's not wasting the oil. She saved it for the perfect moment. This is essential. This is a critical moment. This isn't just another week. We don't have another year. Disciples, you got to open your eyes. So I think the triumphal entry is a lot about Bethany and the, the individuals that he meets with here. So let's close with scene number four. We fast forward and we've made it back to Jerusalem where where the movie started. Right. We started in Jerusalem. We did a little rewind to go to Jericho. We're working our way back up. We go through Bethany, this experience here in uh, simon the leper's house and now we're fast forwarding again and we're back to current um, with the triumphal entry we're going to read from luke 19 to finish up here verse 41 now as jesus drew near he saw the city and wept over it saying if you had known even you especially in this your day the things that make for your peace but now they're hidden from your eyes Days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him. And they were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. So for three years, the king's been touring the surrounding cities. He's been compelling people to come to the church, to come to God, to come back to Christ to come to himself, to open their eyes. He's been proclaiming to everybody that God is alive, that God is real, that, that this is a significant moment. And then he comes into the temple, he comes into the church, and he realizes that what he's been inviting people to, where he's been healing people and saying, go to the temple, it's not the church that he's been proclaiming. It's not a place where people can come in and further their relationship with God. It's not a place where people can come in and expect righteousness and justice, consistency, love, care for the strong, the healthy, and the well-off, just like they care for the struggling, the sick, and the poor. That place does not actually exist. So Jesus has come during this triumphal entry to set things right in the church. He needs things to get set right in the church because this is going to continuous, continuously be his means and methods to proclaim salvation in himself. He says, you've made it a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. You're buying in here. You're selling in here. And this isn't just to take a shot, but I see people selling... Uh, medical masks that have you know scripture on them or um christian symbols on them and i get it we're christians we want to wear apparel but now ain't the time for marketing (laughs) jesus in other uh in another angle from the other scriptures in the gospels it says that he he comes in (laughs) and he's angry it's violent he's flipping tables he's kicking people out one, one of the scriptures says that he makes a cord <laughs> a whip out of cords and threads and begins to drive people out seeing jesus in a new light maybe as we read through these scriptures but why is it so important why is this triumphal entry essential why is this different than every other time he's he's come into the temple He's proclaiming who he is. He's proclaiming that he's God. He's proclaiming that he's bringing salvation. He's proclaiming that he's the king, the father, the son, the Holy Spirit. They've been planning this celebration ever since that original sin back in the garden with Adam and Eve. This was going to be the moment and the church again. This is why he weeps. The church is not prepared. The leaders who are supposed to be caring for the people have made it about themselves and their own benefit. So when the king enters the church, he will rearrange things and he has complete disregard for how others feel about it. I feel like right now, in many ways, that's what God is doing. Look around, the church has been rearranged. And it just seems like as if God says, I don't care how you feel about it, I've got to get some things in order. I don't want you to come back into these churches and into these buildings until you understand what my father's house is supposed to be. So is the church today, in 2020, in the midst of our critical moment, is the church ready to be essential? I wanna encourage you to think about that as you go through this Passion Week. I wanna encourage you to think about that as you prepare for Easter. I wanna encourage you to think about that as you talk with friends, as you talk with family. As you look at some of the things that I'm seeing out there, God knows that the world is in a a difficult place right now. But I think it's interesting how how the world is is again trying to speak loudly about the faults and the failures and the shortcomings of the church. We were never going to be perfect. That's why we have a perfect king. However, we can do better. We can do better in this season. Is the church ready to be essential? How is that going to happen? It starts with individuals and i think that's one of the most important messages for today um, as we look at the triumphal entry it wasn't about the big picture of the church first it was about the individuals you need to remember that you are essential for sure if you're a leader in the church you're essential if you're a christian anywhere on the planet right now you're essential the world cannot do without you your family cannot do without you your friends cannot do without you Palm Sunday isn't about longing for getting back to church. It's about the king making house calls to each and every one of us this week. So I'm going to close with this. If you want to see your family saved, if you want to strengthen your salvation, we need to let Jesus into our homes like Zacchaeus did. He climbed up into a tree and he said, I just want to see Jesus. I just want to maybe even see him from a distance to be able to say, hey, everybody, I saw Jesus. But Jesus says, come down and I want to come into your house today. You don't have time to fix it up. You don't have time to change anything around. As it is, I want to come into your house. I believe that Jesus is saying that to many of us. As you are right now, Jesus is saying, you can't just see me streaming. You can't just see me on posters and on posts. I want to come into your house. That's a triumphal entry. We also need to be healed and raised to life like Lazarus was. It can't just be a head knowledge of who God is and what he said. Lazarus was dead and he was brought back to life. That's the triumphal entry. That's what it produces is a new life. You are truly born again. What we learned in this last week leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ has so many implications for us. We also need to become part of the church and show what God has done for us like Simon the leopard did. Many of us are waiting to be contacted and waiting for somebody to reach out to us. You get on Zoom. You get on Google Meet. You get on FaceTime or whatever it is that you have to do to connect with people. Simon the leper wasn't waiting for somebody else to have a gathering that Jesus would come and enter into, right? Simon the leper remembered what Jesus did for him. He said, I want to be part of the church. Let's get Lazarus here. Let's get Mary here. Let's get Martha here. Let's get the disciples here. And then what happens? Jesus shows up and comes into the house. Be an active part of the church. We also need to give what matters most to us, like Mary did. Mary decided, I've got this oil. It's valuable. Uh, Judas said that it could have fed 300 people. And to the world, it seems crazy that you would waste that for anointing somebody. But Jesus said she did exactly what she was supposed to do. She took what mattered most to her and she put it into my hands. She literally anointed me with it. What matters most to you right now? And have we placed that back into the hands of Jesus? Are we just worried about uh, the life of our brothers and our sisters, our moms, our dads, our children, our wives, our husbands? Are we just wanting them to live and make it through this coronavirus so we could spend more time with them? Or are we saying, Lord, their life is in your hands. They matter so much to me, but I got to put them in your hands. Lord, please help me. Help them. Save them. And heal them. And like Martha, find a way to serve. It's not as easy as it used to be, but believe me, there's still a ton of ways that we can serve people in this season. If we can do some of those things as believers... I think what will happen is more people will become believers, and the world will know that the church is still essential. That this is a moment that God has prepared us for. He's positioned us for it. He's called us to it. He's empowered us for it. He says, you are going to be able to adapt and meet the needs of the people of my kingdom. Amen. I want to pray. Triumphal Entry is about salvation. It's about the proclamation of the King. It's about um, the things to come. And I want to pray that uh, Jesus wouldn't have to weep over his church in this season. That this would be in in some ways maybe the greatest Easter the world has ever known. So, Lord, we've come to you this morning. Um, asking you to open our eyes. You've said so many times, those who have eyes to see and those who have ears to hear, see and hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, I just believe that we can see you just a little bit more clearly this morning. We can hear you just a little bit more clearly this morning. We ask that you would, throughout this week, Lord, Lord, prepare us for what's to come in a few days as you were preparing the world for your death and your resurrection, the pain of your crucifixion, the joy that comes with resurrection. Prepare us for whatever is going to take place, not only in this next week leading up to Easter, Lord, hearts are going to be open, minds are going to be open, people are going to be listening that were not listening just a few short weeks ago, Lord. But also, Lord, I pray that you would prepare us for what comes in the weeks and in the months and in the years following this Easter and this season of epidemic, Lord God. I ask that you would uh, encourage us, Lord, inspire us, empower us, Lord. In many ways, Lord, we feel uh, ill-equipped. We feel easily distracted. We feel... Uh, distant from you, Lord. But I just believe with all my heart, Lord, that there can be closeness, Lord. I pray that you would send um, Simon's, Lord, those that used to be lepers who have been healed that would gather the body together, Lord. I pray that you would send Mary's, Lord, that would be liberal with their love, liberal with their giving, liberal with their, uh, their values, what they value, Lord. inspire the rest of us to do the same, Lord. I pray that you would uh, send men and women that would be bold, that would be loud, that would not be concerned with what the world has to say, but just want to get your attention, Lord, to inspire the rest of us, Lord. I pray for those who maybe in this very moment are considering their salvation, considering their eternity, considering what matters most, Lord. I pray that you would meet them wherever they are, that they wouldn't just hear my voice or hear my words, Lord, but that they would hear you, that they would feel your presence, Lord, that they would turn to you, that they would repent, ask for forgiveness, Lord, and that you would reveal yourself and show up. You've promised it. You've done it. We've experienced it. I've experienced it, Lord. And we just know that you're not finished, Lord. So we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you that uh, you made us adaptable, that your word could still go forth, Lord. People could meet with you. So we love you. We thank you. And we celebrate you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Be blessed. Prepare for Easter. We'll see you soon. Amen.
1: Can't go back to the beginning, can't control what tomorrow will bring. But I is the place where you promised to be.